Well, it's been a, a, about a week, or, a week or so, just a week, we had a great installation service of Pastor Jennifer and a guest speaker, Lisa Johnson here, who really challenged us in the ways of our discipleship and becoming disciples uh, of the Lord. And what we know about discipleship is that it's got ups and it's got downs. Uh, there are great highs and mountaintops that we uh, can, can be on as we follow the Lord. And sometimes, oftentimes, following Him requires um, suffering and requires um, hard times and requires uh, us to still be faithful in the midst of that. And that's going to lead us into our discussion today as we find Paul on a ship not a three-hour tour like Gilligan's Island. There's things going on on this ship, but a great lesson and truth for us to, to hold on to just in our own faith journey. My question to you to open up this morning is, what is enough? Two weeks ago at the picnic, I asked you, you know, what's worth it? Today, I'm asking you, what is enough? What is enough? Have you ever thought about that in your own lives? What is enough? Have you ever tried to answer that question for yourself? How much is enough to be fully satisfied in this life, to be fully content? Is it the American dream? We all know the cliche of the American dream. It's having the house, the two-car garage, and if you so desire, a family, spouse, you know, 3.2 children or whatever. I don't know how you have 0.2 of a child, but I always hear it said that way. The Honda Odyssey. How many want the Honda Odyssey, right? That American dream. I mean, those are wonderful vans. Those are. You all should... Is it professional success? How much is enough? Securing the next big promotion, getting the next deal, the sale, achieving the accolades and making as much money as we can? And when do you know that you've achieved enough? And then when that happens, what, what happens when things out of our control, natural disasters, diseases, things like that, a company reorganizes, if you're thinking professionally, or consequences that happen due to our own poor actions as we're trying to achieve enough, when all of that good stuff that we have acquired then is stripped away. What then? How would we view our lives? How would we view our blessings? How would we view our relationship to God? There's a man in the Bible, kind of like what Paul is experiencing, but on a much deeper level, Ever, you ever, ever heard of the man named Job? I always thought it was Job. <laughs> like they're here talking about work in the Old Testament. No, uh, Job. It's described in, in the Bible that he's a man like no other. That God describes him as blameless, upright, fearing God, and that he turns from evil. Job had everything. He had family, he had a spouse, he had children, he had land, he had animals, he had servants, he had money, he had it all. And in the midst of that, God is calling him a blameless, upright man because he continued to worship God and give God all the glory and all the credit for everything that he had. Well, Job's story goes that the devil now comes to the Lord and says, I don't buy it. I don't... I don't, I don't uh, believe that this Job, as you say, who is a man like no other, I think he's like every other man. And I think, God, if you strip him of everything that he has acquired, all of his blessings, he will turn and he will curse you. See, the devil doesn't understand enough. He doesn't understand what it means to be satisfied in God. This was not the humanity Satan tried to taint back in the Garden of Eden. The humanity that he tried to create in the Garden of Eden was a humanity who questions God, 
who wants to disprove the Lord, who's always seeking more to gain more. And so God allows for the suffering to befall Job, to strip him of everything, family, money, animal servants, everything except his life. And Job, the story of Job goes on to see the woes that he has as all of these things have been stripped away. How many of us have experienced Job-like moments in your life? How many are going through it right now? Seasons, storms, setbacks, death, disease, and despair. And when they occurred or are occurring, how did it affect your relationship with God? How did it impact your relationship with Christ? Some of you may say, you know what? It strengthened it. I learned to lean on and fully rely on God because doing this by myself, there was no way that I was going to get through it. And I say amen. That is absolutely true. That is supposed to happen. That is what's promised to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells richly within us, who intercedes for us on our behalf when we don't have words that can speak. When our groanings do not can put together a sentence to talk to God, the Holy Spirit intervenes and brings us through those times. But how many of us also in those times experienced frustration and doubts and anger towards God, which is very understandable because we are all human. I, I won't go into it, but I've shared with you before a time in my life when we were, we were pregnant with the, the first pregnancy and Carrie experienced a miscarriage. And I remember standing outside of my house, shaking my fist at God, saying, how dare you? I work for you. How could this happen? It's a human reaction. So why, why start all this with this ray of sunshine, Right? Paul's journey has him on a boat now. We've watched Paul go through an extensive trial. Many ups and downs. People want to kill him. All these things are happening, and yet he remains faithful. And every time that he's in front of an audience, he continues with his call and moving the gospel forward and does not shy away from it. And now he is sent down on a boat to go appear before Caesar. And you think, great, he's getting on a boat. Off to Rome he goes. But no, if you read through Acts 27, it's like, it's confusing. They're through every, every port and city that you can go through. They kind of stop off on this boat. And it's this really, really long journey. And just about when it's time for them to really truthfully now get to Rome, Paul says to the centurions and, and, the, and the folks that are on the boat, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. I think if we get on this boat, there's going to be a potential loss of life. We probably should stay. But they do not heed that warning because they don't know what is enough. That Paul, who's speaking on the authority of the Lord, is saying we should wait. They don't buy that. What they see is a ship, a masterful ship that they can get on that's going to bring them to port. The centurion, he's getting ready to receive accolades because he's going to deliver this very famous prisoner up to Rome. And the ship is full of grain, which means there's money to be had. And they're not going to listen to Paul. They're not going to listen to that. They're ready to come what may. We got to get to where we are going so that we can get what we need. It wasn't enough. And so here we are today. Paul, like Job, is experiencing much suffering because when he warned them, hey, it's going to be bad, that comes to fruition. 
For enough for Paul is to know and believe that his life is hid with Christ on high and all else is rubbish. And the people sailing with him are going to receive a lesson and a blessing in the midst of this real tempestuous storm that's going to get kicked up. Today, my friends, we learn that enough is found in Christ alone and to take heart in him when the waves of adversity crash around us. Enough is found in Christ alone. So let's take heart, everybody. Let's take heart, let's find courage, and let's see what God has for Paul in this part of his journey. Let's open up the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27. It's page 113, or 1013, 113, that page right there. Open up the Bibles there. It's in the back of the, of the pews, and let's see where we're at. I've already kind of highlighted a little bit of what's going on in Acts 27. They've gone from port to port to port, And Paul has warned them, we should not get into this boat. It's going to turn out bad for us. And now we pick up the story, Acts 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor, which means they pulled it up, and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, or as we like to call it, Nor'easters, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Meaning they just kind of, they had to go. They had to go with where the wind is going. Running under the lee of a small island called Cuda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. That's the lifeboat trailing behind it. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground On the um, citrus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Still kind of going with the storm here. Since we were violently stormed, tossed, they began the next day to jettison cargo. So now the ship is coming under a lot of waves and crashing things. They're trying to slow themselves down, and what they're doing is it's kind of ripping the ship apart. And then on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle, which is the gear gear overboard, with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope, look at this, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. This is Luke writing this. Luke is writing, we're no longer having hope that this is going to turn out well. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stands up among them and says, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, which means be of courage. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Isn't that wonderful? You're not going to die, but the ship that you were on is going to be destroyed. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, says Paul, (laughs) for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Isn't that wonderful? Could you imagine that scene? The waves crashing all around and and Paul gives this, and I may, I may be reading into it wrong, but I love how the English says, after Paul says, the ship's going to be destroyed, but we're going to be fine. So take heart, everybody. That's how I, I read it. I don't know if that's the case, but it seems kind of, makes me chuckle. 
Remember, there is a lesson and there's a blessing. What is the lesson of Acts 27, specifically verse 22? The ship will be destroyed, but there will be no loss of life. I think there's a literal lesson and a figurative lesson. The literal lesson that we see in here is that storms are bad. Can we all agree? Storms are bad. Has anyone lived through a hurricane? I've lived through a hurricane. Anyone? I've played wiffle ball in a hurricane, so I can tell you that story later. It's a lot of fun. But storms are bad. A hurricane is going to blow. Water will find a way, and crazy, chaotic water will destroy. We only need to look at pictures of the aftermath of hurricanes that have ripped through parts of America to see that. Jettison all you want. Reinforce the ship all you want, but this vessel is going to be destroyed beyond your control. The literal lesson is that there are things in this life that are beyond our control. The figurative lesson in this statement is that I look at this ship. Is this not a metaphor for our lives in this broken world? Sometimes the suffering in our lives, maybe even oftentimes, it's beyond our control. And you have to kind of give way to it in order to get through it. The more that you fight it, the more that you try to do things, the more that it, it possibly could be dangerous for you or, or futile. And the hope that you survive to get to the other side is the only thing that kind of pushes us through. How often do we try all efforts to hold on to and to preserve things that are out of our control? To elevate our earthly things over godly things only to see them taken away. I've said this before. Everything that we have on this earth, even the people in whom we love, they are variables. There are things that can impact them, that can take them away from us. And if we hold them up, over the things of the Lord, over our love and worship for the Lord, we're setting ourselves up for immense failure and disappointment. Because the things of this earth are going to what? They're going to fade away. But what is eternal? Our life with God. And it's almost always out of our control, these suffering things. We can't predict when these things are happening. We don't know when the phone is going to ring and a doctor is going to say, I'm sorry, but it's cancer. And now, now you get that on your my chart on your phone. Sometimes you get that news before the doctor even calls. The phone calls and says there's been an accident. Something bad has happened. Come right away. We can't control that. And it happens to all of us. And this is not only true in our personal lives. I also see a lesson here for the church as well. When we think about suffering and factors and variables. There's a song, an, uh, an older contemporary worship song called The Heart of Worship. Has anyone ever heard The Heart of Worship? Look at the words here. This is part of the words. When the music fades and all are stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that'll bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus. This was written by Matt Redman when he was attending a church where the senior pastor there started to grow a little saddened at his congregation. He felt that the congregation was too much absorbed in the band and in the speakers and in the screens, the organ, the piano, and all the bells and whistles, the bulletins and everything. And so what he decided to do was strip all of that away without letting them know. You imagine that if I did that? What if you came in here on a Sunday morning, I turned everything off and I told Susan not to play the organ. You all would string me up and have me out. But it's true. And what he wanted them to do was just to come into worship 
with thanksgiving and praise in their hearts and just worship the Lord without all of the bells and whistles. It's a great lesson for the church. COVID was a great lesson for the church. God shakes the pews and says, how about I take away your building and your ability to gather together in this place? Can you still be the church? Can you still honor and trust me in what I am doing in the midst of this suffering? It's a great lesson for us all. Sometimes the thing that we're trying to preserve and hold on to is the very thing that God's saying, no, 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 no. This is the wrong thing to focus on. And so now we come back to Paul. Remember, all hope is lost, says Luke. So the ship's crew is tired. They're hungry. They're full of despair. And Paul exercises his authority and his call in life. He's a prophet. He's a missionary. And he says to them, hey, fear not. Take courage. No loss of life is going to happen. And gives them that lesson of faith. Be of good courage. Your lives are saved. Not by the lifeboats, not by Paul himself, and not by what the centurion can do. It is saved by the one true Christ, the one true God. The only one who can bring salvation in a situation when there is certain death and destruction swirling around. He is the only one who can control the storms and say, peace, be still. It reminded me of another great boating incident. If you were to turn to Matthew chapter 14, you will see that we as disciples should stay away from boats. Just, <laughs> it's bad news. <laughs> it's not great. Look at this. Matthew 14, verse 22 through 33. Immediately he made, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was long away from land and was beaten by the waves for a wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, on the water. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. Excuse me, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, look at this. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the waters. Peter, so bold. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him and saying, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Who do we place our hope in in the midst of suffering, despair, destruction, death? We put it in the one who has the power to say to creation, Peace be still. You see, Paul is using the same language as Christ, take heart, which means I say he's living out this, this exercise that, that Jesus is teaching the disciples. Now we see Paul living out what Jesus told Peter to do. Notice Paul never says to the waves, peace be still. He doesn't have that power. That's not been given to him to do. The only thing he says is take heart, everybody. Be of good courage. The ship is going to destroy, but I have it on good authority 
from the angel that appeared to me today, from the God I serve, that there will be no loss of life among you. Take heart. Jesus is enough. That brings me to another little lesson in here. Recall Job. I talked about Job in the beginning. You see, God allows for the suffering to happen. But don't mistake that he enjoys suffering, that he, that he relishes in that. No, God hates suffering. When God created the world, suffering, death, and destruction wasn't a part of that equation. That got entered in by our disobedience, right? And so God uses these circumstances of this broken world to not only crush Satan's plan, Satan who wants humanity to blame God for all the bad things and to run away, but to strengthen Job's faith so that Job would only look to the source, to God, for his strength and his zeal to get him through the suffering that he is enduring. And in so doing, squashes Satan's plans. Oftentimes, our faith is strengthened when presented with the opportunity to take heart. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, our faith is strengthened when presented with the opportunity to take heart and be courageous. So I ask you, can you look to Christ as enough when you experience the major sufferings of this world? And I think for a lot of us, we can't answer that question until we're in that situation, until we have been given the opportunity to fully rely and lean back on Christ, who calls us out of the boat just like Peter and calls us to him as the winds and the storms swirl around, saying, look, look at me. I am enough, and I have the power to calm these seas, and I have the power to bring you through. The whole world may fade away. The very things that we're holding on to with all our life are going to possibly, they will be destroyed. But the one thing that remains eternal for those who place their faith in Christ is that our lives will be spared, our eternal lives. And that is the thing that is supposed to give us strength and hope, just like with Job, to not look at God in question, but to look to God and follow and find our strength and our hope in his son Jesus, who is enough. Is he enough for you? Take heart and take courage, my friends. Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for challenges. And it's so Weird to thank you for challenges. None of us in this room want to suffer. None of us in this room look forward to the day where things will be taken away from us. But in those most certain times that are in our future, be it near or far, Lord, remind us of this story. That yes, there are things, all things in this world are going to fade away. But what remains eternal what is hid in you is our eternal lives. And so that we know, come what may in this world, what awaits us is far better, far more glorious. It's our reward with you, Lord. Allow that to well up in us a supernatural strength 
that sees us through the times of our sufferings. And to always look to you as being enough. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, my friends, what a mighty and magnificent God we serve who sends his son at just the right time in the midst of our suffering so that we don't get distracted by the waves that are crashing around us, though they be real. I am not speaking those away. Suffering is real, but so is our God, and so is his son. Go now with that good news of great hope that Jesus the Savior walks out towards us in the midst of our suffering and says, look at me, follow me, I am enough. And take heart and share that with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Hey, everybody, have a wonderful day.